When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Is it 2003 all over again? Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. With me today is Jared Dillian, editor of the Daily Dirt Nap Newsletter. Hi, Jared. Hey, what's up? Not too much. Listen, apologies, everyone, for getting a little bit of a late start. We're having some technical problems. I'm coming off being sick. I mean, it's been a struggle. The struggle is real, but we're going to get through this, um, and we're happy we're able to get on air. So thanks for being patient. Um, and Jared... Before we start, on happier news, congratulations on your book deal. You have not one, but oh, yeah. two books coming out over the next couple of years. That's amazing. Yeah, the the essay collection is coming out next summer, and uh, the personal finance book is coming out in the spring of 2024. And actually, both books are done. I actually finished the manuscript on both, so... Which is incredible. It's not it's now, hard enough to get one book done, but to get two books done is, <laughs> is a real feat. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, listen, yeah. I read your essays religiously, so I know a lot of people are really going to love to see them all compiled in one place. So looking forward to that. Thank you. Yeah, there's actually going to be 10 extra ones in there that I didn't publish online. So, um, so some new stuff. Good, good. A, a little teaser. I love it. Um, so so back to the here and now. Uh, we started with the question of whether it's 2003 all over again, um, because it's been coming up a lot in conversation. I know in, in your newsletter, you've mentioned that it kind of feels that way to you. Um, is that is that still the case? And what are the similarities that you see? Well, there are a lot of differences. I, the, the big similarity to me is... Um, in both cases, in 2000 and 2020, you had a massive tech bubble uh, and a big bear market, which is still continuing. Um, you know, I was, how old was I? In 2003, I was 29 years old and I was at Lehman. And this was before I was on the ETF desk. I was doing index arbitrage, but I was on the trading floor. And, you know, sitting on the trading floor during the tech bubble, you would hear orders for, Microsoft and Intel and dot-com stocks like vertical net, stuff like that. And then around 2003, you heard different types of stocks. You heard U.S. Steel and Cleveland Cliffs and Phelps Dodge and Inco and stuff like that. And really what happened was, you know, starting around the beginning of 2003 and 2002, um, you had a big shift into value and that mm. continued for really for three or four years. Uh, where value stocks massively outperformed. Uh, and it's happening, it's starting to happen now. Like, I, I don't have the numbers off the top of my head, but, you know, just look at the chart of IVE, which is the S&P value index, and it's way off the lows. Mm -hmm. uh, you, I mean, even today, Best Buy, right? Best Buy was up 12% today. Yeah, this that was a stock. surprise, right? We're used to that being a yeah. dog. Yeah, this is a stock that um, when... It was on the lows, it was like a six or eight PE with a 6% dividend yield, classic value stock, and now it's rallying. 
Remember Gap? Remember Gap from like four or five months ago? The stock got down to four bucks. People were talking about bankruptcy. It had like a 10% dividend yield. Gap is up 53% off the lows. And this is kind of quietly happening. And really not a lot of people are paying attention to it, you know? So does it feel like, I mean, I, I, that sort of begs a, a, a couple of questions, I guess. Does it feel like that it's a, it's a part of a larger move that that's going to continue and that you're going to see a bigger rotation out of tech? Tech's going to be out of favor for a while? Or is it yeah, just that absolutely. people are seeking safety right now because of the uncertainty? No, I, th I think this is, a, I mean, look, like it's too early to say, but I, I really think this is the big secular shift that people have been predicting for the last 15 years. I mean, people have been waiting for value on our performance and it hasn't happened. So, no, I think I think this is a turn. And I think that tech is going to be dead for a really long time. You know, I mean, if you think about after the 2002 low, you know, tech was really dead for like 10 or 11 years. You know, so it took you a long time to recoup those losses for I think it, I think it was 10 years before the queues got back up to the highs where they were before. So, yeah. So do you think this comes along with a, a shift away from passive investing to some to to more active management? Well, for sure, active managers are going to do better in a period of value outperformance. I mean, most hedge fund managers are value investors, not all, but most. And, you know, the hedge fund universe has been underperforming for a long time. Uh, I think you're going to see a greater percentage of active managers outperform. And I think we're going to go from 10 to 20 percent outperforming to 40 to 50 percent outperforming. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think I think it's going to be a good environment for stock picking. So do, do in the value world, do you need um, an economy that's growing to see those stocks do well? Because, you know, there's this big question of where we're headed. And I feel like with technology, you know, you could sort of squeeze productivity. People were spending on that. So, you know, you saw this growth kind of no matter what was happening with the economy because you could do more with less, you know, all of that, all of the arguments that go, go into technology. If it's value, are they more cyclical? Are they more tied to how the economy's doing? Uh, I don't. I mean, I don't think uh, a strong economy is a precondition for value stocks to rally. I mean, you know, valuations on value stocks got super, super low. Mm. Um, you know, this is what I like to call the six-six zone. I look for stocks that have six PEs and six percent dividend yields. And you're seeing that in Europe and you're seeing that in emerging markets. You're not seeing it as much in the U.S. But still, you know, this is really as cheap as value has ever been. And all it takes is a, just a very subtle shift in the flows from growth into value. And you'll see those valuations expand a little bit. And a lot of these stocks will be up 20, 30 percent before you know it. Wow. Which is, you're right. People have been waiting a long time. Some people thought it was never going to happen. You know, that. Yeah, that, David Einhorn said that. Einhorn said, like, he's a value investor. He says, I think it's dead forever. I don't remember his exact words, but it was something like that. Maybe, maybe uh, uh, evidently, uh, you know, perhaps spoken too soon. Um, by the way, uh, if you have a question, you know what to do. Put it in the comment section, drop it in the YouTube chat, or tweet us at Real Vision. The live chat on our site is still down. I know we keep saying it is being worked on, but it is being worked on. Um, 
but I, we have some good questions already. And um, I, I want to ask one of them because the Fed is a big factor here, right? Um, and Colin from YouTube asking, hi, everyone. Impressive close. We had stocks rally up more than 1%. U.S. stocks, all the major indices up 1%, more than 1% today, well over 1%. Um, impressive close, Colin says. Will it be a 180 with the FOMC minutes? We have seen you know, uh, Fed officials really, if not intentionally, talk the market down, certainly have that effect. D does a lot still ride on what happens with the Fed here, Jared? Well, if you remember what happened with the last minutes, by the way, does that come out tomorrow? Are the minutes coming out Yes, tomorrow? I think they come out tomorrow, okay. yeah. Yeah, so if you remember what happened with the last Fed meeting, you had a very dovish directive where the directive said that the Fed needed to consider the cumulative effect of tightening and the lagged effect of monetary policy. That was the statement that they put in the directive. It was very dovish. And then Powell came out and blew it apart. Right. So I, I think what you'll see in the minutes is more of a reflection of that directive rather than Powell's personal opinion when he was doing slam poetry during the press conference. <laughs> Right. So make me laugh. It was slam poetry. <laughs> I love so, that. <laughs> but no, I think you know, I I think it's going to be closer to in the directive. So I you know I think I'm not going to be in the office tomorrow. I'm I'm actually after this call. I'm done for five days. But mm -hmm. um, no, I, I expect it to be pretty dovish, and I expect I expect the markets to react pretty positively. We're going to take a quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. I mean, everyone's been looking for this. I mean, I think we moved away from a pivot. Now it's a pause, I guess, right? Or or at least a change in trajectory. Um, but everyone's been, regardless of what the Fed said, it seems like they're the they're gravitating more to any sign of dovishness than they are listening to the people who would try to, um, you know, sound hawkish. And Powell's not the only one, right? Bullard came out, I think it was last week. I mean, I've been traveling, so I've been a little detached, but last week saying it could be 7%. You know, you definitely have the the hawks trying to toe that line, but it seems like the market's really paying attention to more of the dovish signs. Yeah. I mean, that was, that was kind of a scary headline, what Bullard said and knocked the market down a little bit, but really what he was referring to was rules-based monetary policy, like the Taylor rule or the Mancure rule or something like that. And he just said, look, if you look at the Taylor rule, the Taylor rule says that rates are supposed to be between 5 and 7%. We had the opportunity to make John Taylor the chairman of the Fed, right? If you remember when, when Trump was picking Fed chairs, he had a choice between John Taylor, mm -hmm. Jay Powell, and Kevin Warsh. And he picked Powell because he assumed incorrectly that Powell was the most dovish of the three. But, you know, if, if we had John Taylor as Fed chair, maybe rates would be 7%. But, you know, we, when I say we, I mean Trump. I mean, Trump rejected that mm -hmm. in favor of something more dovish. So, uh, like I said, 5 to 7% sounded scary, but 
he was really just referring to the Taylor rule and what that said. He wasn't that was he wasn't saying that rates are getting the seven percent. So. Yeah, it's easy. But, you know, he he of all people, since he talks so much, should know that everything that comes out of a Fed official's mouth is going to be shortened into a headline. So um, uh, the other thing about Bullard is like Bullard is not a hawk. You know, if, if you look in his history, going back to like 2015, you know, he was one of the he was one of the biggest doves on the yeah. FOMC for a long time. Yeah. And really what Bullard is, is he's kind of a political weather vane at the Fed. He kind of does whatever's in fashion at any given time. Right now, it's it's fashionable to be hawkish. You know, he is ambitious. He wants to be Fed chair. I mean, there's an explanation for this. <laughs> yeah, and when, when, when that eventually comes up, everything he's ever said will be rolled out in front of him, and that's the lesson of politics in Washington, right? I mean, the less you say, the better your chances. Um, we, William uh, on the RV site asking, uh, where is sentiment in this rally rolling over? You know, obviously, William knows you always have your pulse on the sentiment, Jared. How does it feel to you in terms of where sentiment is right now? Uh, I'd say on a scale of one to 10, 10 being the most bullish, I'd say it's about three and a half mm. currently. Uh, I mean, if you if you look at, everyone looks at the AI, it's hard to say, the AAII numbers. Uh, that's creeping up. It's getting a little bit more bullish. You know, I will say, I think the general sentiment is pretty poor for reasons that have nothing to do with the stock market. One of them being crypto, you know, the whole FTX thing is, you know, really what, what that is, what that is a statement on. It's a statement about trust. You know what I mean? It's, it's not just sort of trust in the crypto world specifically. It's kind of trust writ large. So when you have fraud that's of that magnitude, like that affects sentiment everywhere. I also want to say that people are bearish on Twitter. Elon Musk taking over Twitter, firing everybody, creating all this chaos, like that's creating a lot of bearish sentiment. So even though, you know, the, the actual quantitative sentiment numbers say things are getting more bullish, when I look around out there, I mean, people are still pretty pessimistic. Yeah, that's so interesting. And you're, it does. So there have been a lot of questions, and the, and the whole FTX thing did seem confined. You know, you didn't have some of the spillover effects outside in other assets, you know, is within that, within the world of, of sort of digital for now. Um, but you're, but you make a really good point about trust. Um, and some of the headlines coming out about sort of the egregious, you know, behavior that took place um, and lack of complete lack of controls. Uh, I mean, the issue of a lack of trust is kind of everywhere, I think, right now. I mean, it's reflected everywhere, whether you're looking at politics, financial markets. Um, you know, you're seeing layoffs in technology that used to be a rock solid place where you were, you know, those are the most sought after workers. You know, I got I got an email from someone who was totally blindsided by a pink slip. Um, so you're seeing, an ero you know, that that sort of safe place for those people falling out. So there is a, there is a sort of real lack of trust everywhere, it would seem. Yeah. 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 I think, I think sentiment is still pretty bearish and I think stocks are, you know, I, I hate the phrase, the wall of worry, you know, people say mm. that all the time, but mm. you know, look, it's a holiday week. We're probably, I mean, you know, my experience when I was trading Thanksgiving week, Wednesday and Friday, stocks always went up, you know, good seasonality into year end. I mean, maybe January 2nd, like it's a different story. Um, a lot of times you have big reversals around year end, 
but things look pretty positive going into the end of the year. Yeah. Um, there does seem to be a narrative that they're just forces at work, whether people are chasing their performance, their bonus, they're trying to catch up, whatever's driving it. Um, better than expected data, some resilience coming through, maybe people, you know, the, the move into value. But come January, there seems to be, you know, pretty widespread consensus that things are going to get ugly. Yeah, don't you think that's interesting? I think that's interesting. I really do. I know. Like, whenever, whenever everyone thinks the same thing, you're always wondering, hmm, what could be wrong with yeah, that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, like, you know, I'm sort of, I'm, you know, people think I'm a bull. Really, I'm just sort of doing the opposite of what everyone else is doing. But no, I, th I think it's, look, like, out of a range of possibilities, you know, the S&P is at about 4,000 plus right now. Uh, the all-time highs was 4,800. Look, like a 20% move is 800 points in the S&P. There is a chance that we have a 20% gain in the S&P in 2023. It's absolutely possible. And nobody's considering that possibility. You know, it's funny because Chris Cole, who is a friend of mine, you know, we were, um, we were corresponding back in 2012. And we had this whole discussion about tail risk. But he actually wrote a piece in 2012 that didn't just talk about the left tail, the downside. He talked about the right tail, the upside. And he talked about how cheap like super upside calls were in the S&P. And if you did that, if you bought like five-year calls in the S&P in 2012, I mean, that was that was a retirement trade, you know? So like, I, I, I guess I'm just like, I'm not predicting a 20% rally next year, but like it could happen. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, everyone, whenever we're talking to any of you, you're always looking at probabilities, right? You're looking at the, yeah. the range of probabilities and things that no one has a crystal ball, but what seems more likely, less likely based on, you know, the information in front of us at any given time. Um, the same, in, in the same way that, I guess, mirroring or the, the reason maybe that people expect things to be so bad in January is that there is also this sense that um, the economy, surprisingly resilient now, is definitely going to roll over and we are definitely headed for a painful a recession the question is just how painful i want to run a clip my my colleague andrea spoke recently with andy constant the ceo of damped spring who i think explained some of the thinking behind that and the link with inflation let's have a listen to what he had to say my view on the pressures is that inflation won't be well and truly killed until jobs um either some sort of financial um, breakage occurs where a where a either a provider of leverage or a large industry is taken out, um, and jobs are need are cut after the breakage, or jobs need to come down because the um, consumer, um, though they're spending quite a lot and levering up some of their credit card debt, um, they are doing that because they expect to be employed. Um, you know, it's, there's, you don't lever up your credit card um, all, always because you're about to go bankrupt. Sometimes you do it because you expect to get a bonus or you expect to keep your job. And so you just want to spend ahead of that. Um, and so the demand side, true demand destruction is only going to happen if we see um, consumers um, being forced to uh, retrench. And that happens when 
the job market turns. And that full interview is available on our website. Um, you're going to want to check it out. So, Jared, this is why this inflation issue has been so important. We've been talking about it a lot on Real Vision because, you know, this idea that you're going to have to have a really strong recession, really painful recession in order to break the back of inflation, if not that or some financial dislocation. That's the only way it's going to happen. So you're going to have rates higher for longer, and there's going to have to be layoffs in order for consumers to pull back. Are you worried that that that's coming down the pike at us? Um, no, I mean, first of all, I don't think that people having jobs is inflationary. You know, there's plenty of, plenty of points in history where unemployment is three and a half, four percent, and we don't have inflation. So I, I don't I don't like this argument that people say people have to lose their jobs to get rid of inflation. Mm -hmm. As for the recession, we already had the recession, right? For all intents and purposes, it is over, right? Now, it is going to be reflected in the data in 2023, but that's backward looking, right? We experienced the inflation in the recession this year. So, I mean, if you think of, just think back to the financial crisis, right? The housing market peaked in 2007. It bottomed in 2010. Stocks began to rally in March of 2009. Like the stock market discounts way out in the future and the market was up 50% by the time the housing market turned around. So that's, I think that's what you're seeing with the stock market today. We're going to take another quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. Yeah, that's that. The, the the timing just seems so difficult, and you really have people dug in on the on the on the camps on this, um, and it's I, th I think it's really hard for people to sort of you know. To figure it out because people feel really that you, know, you get those inflationistas who really really feel like that you know a, a lot more has to be done um i want to get a question in melson babe from youtube what's your time frame for the rotation of value do you and do you see this reversing once the fed and other central banks start burring again <laughs> i'm sure what they mean by that, but <laughs> um you you kind of think the rotation's already started don't you jared yeah, it has. And as for the central banks, like, there's a couple things I don't know. Um, I do think the Fed will cut. Uh, I, I do think the labor market will get worse. I think unemployment will go up a little bit, maybe do four and a half, five percent. I think that'll be enough to get the Fed to cut a little bit, uh, maybe to four, three and a half percent, something like that. I don't think we're going to do QE. Um, that's not in our future. In fact, I'm, I'm not even necessarily sure that we're going to stop QT. Um, you know, we might continue quantitative tightening and running off the balance sheet. Yeah. So, yeah. That's, I know, we, in, in all this, so we're so fixated on the pause, how many more hikes. I, I'm surprised that not more people talk about the quantitative tightening, but they don't. Yeah, there's there's some rule of thumb out there that says that, the quantitative tightening that we're doing is worth like 
200 basis points of rate hikes or something like that. Mm-hmm. So really, like, monetary policy isn't at 4%. It's at 6% or something. I don't, I don't, really, I don't know, but. Yeah. So it's, 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 there's not a lot of data to go on since the whole thing is still one giant experiment. So it, it, yeah. it's a little hard to, uh, to figure it out. Um, we've got a question about precious metals. Sure. What are your thoughts on precious metals? Well, you know, I like to say I'm, I have I have three opinions on precious metals: bullish, very bullish, or super bullish. <laughs> and uh, I'm pretty bullish right now. Uh, the one the, I, I've seen some interesting charts, um, and precious metals are basically, for whatever reason, are they're an expression of risk right now, and they're moving in lockstep with the S and P, except for today. Uh, gold was up this morning and then finished about unch, but. Um, aside from today, gold and the S&P have been moving in lockstep. And, you know, if you think about sort of the philosophical reason for that, both are dependent on central bank liquidity. Both are dependent on pausing rate hikes. So, you know, really, if you have an opinion of gold, you, you have to have the same opinion on stocks. So for the time being, it's the exact same thing. So if you're bullish, bullish and bullish, on um, or very bullish on metals, then you're bullish on stocks as well. And, and, and bonds. And, and bonds. Yeah, rates. So bonds, stocks, and gold. Really, it's the it's it's the it's the same asset at this point. Which is weird because it's not supposed to work that way, right? That's why it's been so painful. This year has been so painful because everything was moving down. Do you see the reverse happening next year where everything's moving up? I don't know. I don't know. Because that would be that would be just a continuation of strangeness, right? They're not supposed to all be correlated in that way. Yeah, this is um it's kind of a it's kind of a weird environment for sure. Mm. Um questions about the dollar as well. David, what's up with the dollar? Why does Jared think dollar gold will move in a short where? Sorry, which way? <laughs> Maybe I can read today. Which way does Jared think Dollar gold will move in a short to medium term time frame. Thank you for putting your time frame in there, David. Yeah, uh, I mean the dollar chart in the short term is broken. Yeah. You know, I mean it's it's broken trend. Um, you know, I, I, just looking at you know Euro USD, I think it probably goes to about one ten um, before you get a correction. So um, yeah, it's it's like, again just like we were talking about. It's it's all the same trade. So actually, I wrote I wrote a little bit about this in my newsletter, right? So sometimes I call this the blob: stocks, gold, bonds, dollar. It's all the same trade. It's the blob, right? It's the exact same trade. But what is driving it, right? What's the what is driving all of this is the Fed, okay? Mm-hmm. And if you can predict the behavior of seventeen people, then you can get this trade right. That's really what it comes down to. Like, so, you know, we spent some time earlier on this call talking about Bullard and some of the people on the Fed and, you know, Warsh and Taylor and all this stuff. Like, really, this is what I spend a lot of my time doing. I spend a lot of my time analyzing 17 different personalities because that's that's really what's moving markets and speeches and comments and you know, so, I mean, one of the reasons I'm bullish at the moment is because Susan Collins and Charles Evans and some of the other people on the Fed are saying we are we are at risk of over tightening. 
Okay, so they're not a majority, but they're a very intransigent minority. And you're going to see in the minutes, you're, you're probably going to see in the minutes that there's a lot of discussion about over-tightening and the risk to over-tightening. Yeah, this is what the, these minutes, I mean, the minutes are backward-looking, and they definitely are out tomorrow, by the way. They're backward-looking, um, but they're important because it does give you a little bit more nuance into the conversation that's happening around the table at the Fed. Um, and you're right. There are people who are increasingly concerned about this. I mean, listen, you know, all of these people I, earlier in the fall, they were all meeting when we had the UK guilt market freaking out and stuff. I mean, people know, you know, there, there, all these leaders were in the room, in the room together, not that long ago. There are, when there are strains in the system and it's not why they'll do it, but they've got it between what's happening internationally, what's happening on the housing front in certain parts pockets of the economy where things are slowing down significantly that you know their phone is ringing off the hook they all do those regional surveys they have to see what's going on on the ground so there must be a really robust discussion about how far they think they can push it before you start to see you know some unintended consequences so it's not surprising i suppose at this point in the cycle that they would be having that conversation yeah the question absolutely. is how's the vote go though well you know, I don't know. It's going to be interesting. So I think the meeting is like December 15th or 16th or something like that. Um, you might you might see some dissents, you know. I mean, look. Uh, Which like means the you're closer, gonna, to like, the, the, closer to a change in policy yeah. and not once you start getting dissents. The Fed is going to hike 50 at the next meeting. That's a done deal. It's priced in. Christopher Waller already said that's happening. But I don't know. Maybe you see some dissents on the Dover side. I don't know. Yeah, this is a this is a really uncertain sort of difficult environment. And the one other thing we haven't talked about is energy, right? Energy prices. We, we see we see oil. I think it was back down to eighty today. I mean, we, we, it's interesting. I mean, what 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 is the oil market pricing in? Or is it is it sort of gearing off of China the China COVID lockdowns again? What what do you think's going on with oil? There are people who were you know who were convinced that we're in a commodity super cycle and that oil was going to start you know, sort of bottoming or basing and having another run higher. It, it doesn't seem like it's done that. I don't know. What do you, what's happening there? There's, there's a lot of conspiracy theories about oil out there. The biggest one is that Biden gave absolution to MBS for the Khashoggi thing and which is going to result in higher production. All, the only thing I'll say about oil is that, you know, I've been bearish for a while, but the chart is actually starting to look pretty good. In the price action yesterday, where it tested 75 and then reversed intraday, like that's pretty positive price action. Um, so I'm actually, I hate to say it, but I'm actually kind of bullish in the short term. Mm. Well, especially if you don't think that there's going to be a steep recession, that would be supportive of energy prices. Yeah, no? for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we got a question. Where did it go? On... Uh, uh, Julius asking if QT is continuing, then where do you see bond yields going? Uh, I, you know, I mean, the, a lot of people have pointed out that the Treasury is kind of a, Treasuries are kind of a one-way market at this point. You got the Fed selling, you got China selling, you got Japan selling. Um, I do think, I think rates, I think ten-year rates are going to get to somewhere between three and a quarter and three and a half. But really the bigger issue is uh, the inversion of the yield curve, which yesterday got out to 71 basis points, which is super inverted. 
which is the most since 1981, I think. So I don't know. I mean, if, if I were a fixed income trader, I probably would have put the steepener on like 30 or 40 bips ago and I would be eating shit right now. Um, but like at some point that trade is going to make a lot of sense and, you know, to put on the steepener when it's at negative 71 bips. So yeah. maybe so. And you don't see that because some people look at that and say, this is, this is, this is why we're going to see this recession, right? This is, this is an indication that there's a recession. Do you, do you think that that, that signal is intact or is it, are we already there? And that, and I don't, I don't I don't think that's what the yield curve is telling us. I think the yield curve is telling us that the Fed has over-tightened. Mm. I think that's what the yield curve is telling us, that short-term rates are too high mm. uh, relative to long-term rates. So, you know, honestly, it, if, if, if twos were at 4% or 3.5%, the yield curve would make a lot more sense. But I think the Fed is over-tightened. So. Mm. And Jared, that's as we kind of close out here, that that's my takeaway from what you're saying. You're always, I know, looking for sort of where the majority is not and people are, too many people are too bearish um, in your opinion and you feel like the Fed, there's a change in policy at some point. There's not going to be this deep recession. Everybody sees we're kind of already, we've already been experiencing that in some way and the market's looking past that and you're pretty bullish on metals, stocks and bonds. Is that fair? Yeah, I mean, it's it's really. I think, I think a lot of people have interpreted the Fed too literally when they talk about you know basically rate hikes forever is what you would call it. Um, <laughs> I, th I think people have bought into um, the scare tactics and the hawkish rhetoric. I think it's more nuanced than that. So. Watch this space. Those minutes are going to be interesting. Thankfully, you will be off, Jared, so you won't have to yeah. worry about it until you come back. Um, we, we thank you so much and have a wonderful, restful holiday. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest and biggest names in finance.